1: Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game and is even more exciting than watching Sky try to get four hours of live telly out of one loan move to West Brom on transfer deadline day. I'm Kevin Day and turning down a free transfer to Swiss Ramble is Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, a predictably quiet transfer window I guess?
0: Yes, uh, if if you've got no money, you can't spend it, and, and that's the, that's the position of football at present. Also, the players don't want to move because uh, nobody
1: can offer them pay rises. So you, it, it's it's a very sticky wicket indeed. Yeah, my mother never lived by that principle. If you've got no money, you can't spend it. <laughs> God love her. Mine too. Yeah. Maybe something to do with where they're from, Kieran. Who knows? Uh, later in this episode, we'll hear from Purag Murate, the president of 49ers Enterprises, uh, which is the commercial arm of the San Francisco 49ers. He spoke to us about, well, oh, cricket. And, uh, oh, yes. And his investment in Leeds United, which was recently increased to 37%. It was a very positive and upbeat chat, Kieran, wasn't it?
0: Yes. Uh, I think Leeds fans uh, are going to be excited from what they hear. Uh, I think he wants to retain what what he refers to as sort of yeah, the nuts and bolts, the the boots of Leeds United, while still trying to move the club on. So yeah, a few interesting revelations to look forward to. Yes,
1: yeah, sadly, uh, positive and upbeat are not words we can use about our first story. And you did say, Kieran, that you thought South Yorkshire may overtake the East Midlands as an area of concern. And lo and behold, several Sheffield Wednesday players haven't been paid their full wages this month.
0: Yes, I mean, there's there's good news for Sheffield Wednesday on the pitch. Yeah, uh, you know, they, they presently they don't have a manager, they don't have a director of football, they don't appear to have a chief executive, but that's not stopping them from from winning matches, which uh, you know perhaps calls into question uh, you know some of the some of the processes that you do see at clubs. Um, so congratulations to Sheffield Wednesday on the pitch, uh, off the pitch. It, it appears according to one of the stories in the local press that. Uh, if if the players were on more than seven thousand pounds a month, um, they were being capped at that level, and if they were below it, they were being paid in full. Now uh, Sheffield Wednesday haven't published any accounts since twenty eighteen, which reminds me of another club in the championship. Mm. Um, they're now more than six months overdue. It, it's the second year in the on the trot that that's arisen so that means they're going to pay a fine of of 3000 pounds which which in the in the wider scheme of things isn't a cause for concern uh the fact that they're not willing to to tell the the fans you know the fa- fans are the biggest investors in a club what's going on i, I don't think is great um, the the average salary in, in their most recent accounts, which was 2018, was £27,000 a month. Mm-hmm. So if they're capping people at seven, uh, over seven, you can see uh, a fair number of players being perhaps a bit cheesed off. Though, again, I'd
1: stress it, it doesn't seem to be reflected on what's happening in the pitch. It, it does seem a bit odd, the fact that you're necessarily alienating your better, play, your better paid and therefore you imagine better players. Um.
0: Yes, I mean, I, I guess sort of the the mentality of a dressing room does tend to be quite collegiate. You know, all for one and one for all. And ultimately, when when you go out. And you're playing on the football pitch. All the sort of the, the internal bitching and unhappiness with regards to the the management and and sort of the the structure of the club, which might be bothering players, can sometimes just disappear. Uh, you know, I, I've I've heard footballers say historically that the only place that they ever felt free. Um, was was in the 90 minutes uh, you know, on, on a weekly basis or twice-weekly basis when they were playing football. And once they got off the pitch, that's when all the
1: problems used to start. So so this could be evidence of that. And, and why is it, Kieran, we only tend to hear of players not getting paid their wages rather than management team, training team, et cetera. Is, is that because it's not happening or because that's not a good, as good a story? I, I, I think there's an element of both. Uh, normally, the, the chief executive...
0: Will call in and say something to um, the the manager or, or the coaching team because there's only one or two of them. And also remember, the manager quite often has to have uh, meetings with the board. You know, he'll he'll normally attend a, a monthly meeting with regards to progress on and off the pitch. Uh, what's the budget for the next transfer window and things of that nature. Whereas the players won't necessarily have have that closer relationship with things at board level.
1: Oh, sorry. I'm just sitting here speculating who was on the phone then. I'm I'm going to go an angry Mel Morris. (laughs) (laughs) Disappointed that his club's not getting mentioned anymore. So far. (laughs) Uh, No, I've had a look, actually. I don't think they will get mentioned today. Um, National League clubs, Kieran, across all three divisions were offered the chance to decide what happens to the rest of the season this week. What was decided? Um, Well, there's going to be... uh
0: a full vote on the 6th of february um national league north and south have have sort of had a they're having a two week suspension um that there's a lot of confusion you know we've we've covered the national league story uh in terms of initially as part of the winter support package from the government they uh, the national league teams were given uh, a grant um and and that was great and then they all fell out in terms of the way that the grant was going to be distributed. Um, There's now a a further £11 million being made available to the National League teams. But it turns out that uh, the government is of the opinion that this money is in the form of a loan, albeit... Over 20 years and at very low interest rates, the the teams or the national league were under the impression that it was going to be a grant, um, and and they've rightly pointed out is that if they politely decline the loan because clubs are concerned that they can't repay it it's going to cost 14 million pounds to put the players on furlough so surely it's in the taxpayers best interest to 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 fund the the continuation of the season um in, in the form of a grant but what we are now seeing is um People acting in self-interest. So those clubs towards the top of the national league, one of one of the votes will be let's take let's take the loan and continue the season. Whereas the alternative is let's just go into furlough. So yeah, that, that, those are quite extreme uh, views. Um, if. That those clubs towards the top of the, the National League, it's in their interest to continue because if you get promoted to the EFL, all of a sudden you're getting solidarity payments from the Premier League, you're getting the EFL TV deal on top of that. You know, that's worth a, you know, a mil- million and a half pounds a year potentially. So those clubs, you know, the likes of Notts County and so on, you, you can understand their viewpoint. Um, the, the clubs in National League North and South... Uh, they they are they're sort of slightly compromised in the sense that uh, whatever decision is made has to have a 75% majority, and every club in the national league gets a single vote. But the national league north and national league south only get two votes between them. So where they're going to go is, is they're not so certain themselves. So it's 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 looking. Messy. Uh, I have been talking to somebody connected with one of the uh, one of the National League South clubs, who who is of the opinion that uh, it's going to become very political, uh, and there's it's, it's going to be a game of poker played
1: when this vote takes place, and it's due to take place on the sixth of Feb. So we'll be able to bring more news when we meet again next Monday then, presumably. Yes, yes. yes. Okay. Um, apologies, Kieran, if you heard a slight yelp at the start of that uh, answer. We're recording this at about half past four on Wednesday, which I thought was just just late enough to bring a glass of wine out uh, with me. Um, but the look on Ali's face when I opened the fridge door indicated that she didn't agree. So I brought a cup of tea out with me and took a big gulp and it's still really hot. <laughs> uh, I worry, Kieran. This is why we're not winning the Baftas. It's because they think you're brilliant. and think, yeah, Kieran's great, but the other bloke, he just can't can't hold his drink. He gets so distracted by hot drinks and stuff. You wouldn't know this, Kieran, because you never you never touch alcohol or hot liquid, which is probably a no, bit- no.
0: I, 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 I do have my my water bottle by my side as always.
1: That's about as far as it goes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I Probably shouldn't tell you this, but I went to visit my dad this morning, God love him. Uh, who's 86, who has been doing some decorating, he's got the flat looking lovely. But he, he went, Uh, I've filled the fireplace with semen. I was like, what? <laughs> what? He, he's, he's got these little models of sailors that he was given, <laughs> <laughs> and it's just I, just, I just, and obviously, it's like, Well, well done, dad, 86, that's very good. And, and then he caught himself when he went, Ah, it's been a long time since I've been out to fill it, but there you go. <laughs> Um, Again, this is another reason why we're not winning the BAFTA, is it? (laughs) Too easily distracted by smart. Now, still in the, the National League, Wrexham AFC, it transpires, were the only National League club to be excluded from the emergency funding package. Was that because of the Hollywood money? No, um, this does seem very harsh on, on Wrexham AFC.
0: Uh, it, it was determined that because they are physically located in Wales, uh, and despite the fact that the National League is an English competition, that they were not entitled to uh, a share out from, really? from the, the upcoming deal. Um, and therefore, to be, to be fair to the club, they, they've abstained from voting. And um, Rob McElhenney cheerfully tweeted, well, effectively bollocks to you lot we don't need the money um because he you know he he and his partner are going to be in a position to perhaps uh, make up for that but it, it does seem very harsh at a time when the government does seem keen to promote uh, the union uh, for want of a better phrase that it, it's excluding clubs who are physically located in wales from uh, central government payments
1: but that makes no sense. I mean, surely Wrexham, much as we discourage people from taking legal action, but if if Cardiff, Swansea, and Newport aren't excluded from solidarity payments or government grant, why would why would a team in the National League be? That doesn't make sense. That seems grossly unfair. It it, it does on the face of it. I mean, th- there has been a uh,
0: th- there is a, an equivalent of the winter support package uh, from Holyrood affecting clubs in Scotland, and, and I think. Uh, a, a few of the the SPFL clubs are trying to apply for, for that and things of that nature, um, but it, it looks as if this particular responsibility has been devolved to the the individual parts of of. Uh, of of the UK, uh, and therefore it's up to the Welsh government and Scottish government to decide on distributions to individual clubs there. And one can only presume, and I must confess, I've not checked up, but I've not seen anything from from the Welsh government with regards to uh, a package which
1: would impact upon Wrexham AFC. Mm. And another club in the National League, Chesterfield, has furloughed some of its players.
0: Yeah, I I feel quite uncomfortable about this I mean we talk about this word furlough but it's actually formally called the job retention scheme now what Chesterfield have done is that they've identified four players who for, for whatever reason the management thinks isn't going to get a game for the rest of this season now now that happens at every club uh, every season you know you, you and I can identify those players at both Palace and Brighton who uh, we know they 're in the squad somewhere, but yeah they 've not even reached the the bench on a for a league cup game and and you know that they yeah they 're you know, turning up to training, picking up the money and going home. Um, and and that is something which happens across all football clubs it now appears that that chesterfield are effectively using the job retention scheme as a means for the for the taxpayer to pick up the tab so the remainder of the players are being paid um, but these payers, players are being paid effectively by the taxpayer. My understanding is that under the under the job retention scheme, under the furlough scheme, the government picks up 80% of, I think is it the first £2,500 hmm. per month. Uh, it, it looks as if the club is going to make up the remainder of their pay packets. But again, it's certainly to, in my reaction is that this goes against the principle of the scheme, uh, if clearly it w- would appear to satisfy the the, the individual wording of it. Um, Chesterfield are claiming that other clubs are doing it too, but if
1: if they are, they're certainly going under the radar. Yeah, I always feel sorry for the sort of player you talk about there. I mean, like Max Mayer was a classic example for Palace recently before we moved him on. A, a really exciting, potentially young footballer who came with great hopes and through no fault of his own, simply because the manager didn't fancy him, found himself picking up the occasional League Cup game or whatever it was. And he's still criticised by people saying, oh, yeah, well, he's happy to sit out his contract and take the money and play with the under-23s. Well, he's quite clearly not. He wants to play first-team football. So I think the very least he can expect is to actually be paid while while a manager, while waiting for a manager to come in who does fancy him. But I did, like you say, this there is something slightly uneasy about this situation. And if if you don't know of any other clubs that are doing it it would indicate that there aren't any other clubs doing it basically is that right um well yes some clubs do keep their cards close to
0: their chest uh yeah my view is is if 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 Chesterfield have got the evidence um you know i i'd be naming names because it, at present it looks as if they're
1: uh, the only kids in town who are taking this approach yeah. kieran if you can't find out by going to the company's house then basically it's not happening we've ascertained that in the past. There's nothing you can't find out at the company's house. Um, And you may be able to find out about these next two stories. There's talk of takeovers. And uh, I think we could probably have guessed this was going to happen because that's Sunderland are the sort of club where things never seem to run smoothly. But their prospective takeover has hit another snag.
0: Yes. uh, Sunderland uh, were due to be taken over by... Kirill Louis Dreyfus, the the twenty two year old French uh, inheritance billionaire, uh, who, whose own family has has historically owned clubs in France, um, and and when this was first announced, I think Sunderland fans were relieved. The the relationship with Stuart Donald has uh, has fallen down. Uh, you know anybody that's watched Sunderland till I die. On Netflix has been watching through the sort of their fingers as as sort of the you know some of the farcical behaviour in the boardroom was revealed, um, but um, it turns out that whilst Kirill Louis Drapeus is is due to take a controlling stake in the club, so and controlling means more than fifty percent. It looks as if Stuart Donald was planning to keep fifteen percent, and then into the equation comes one satori and one satori is described as a uruguayan politician and businessman <laughs> now you know you're in an industry kevin you know in, in the world of entertainment where uh, south american exports are popular which is, is fair to say Indeed. um so therefore anybody who is a south american politician and uh, businessman you go well, that seems a little bit strange um the story is that uh, Mr. Satori bought his 20% of the club for a pound. Hmm. Uh, now, yeah, we're not sure whether that story is true or not, but he is intending to continue the ownership of, of his 20%. Then into the equation comes the EFL. And the EFL said you know, part of the owners and directors test is uh, that uh, the – the key shareholders have to commit to uh, finance and fund the club for the next two years. So, therefore, Satori and Donald would therefore be included within that. And it looks as if they would turn around and say, "Well, hold on, we, we weren't. We thought that this this new guy was, yeah. uh, was was the only person." And here we're sort of we're entering what's referred to uh, in in a sort of partnership law as joint and several liability. Whereas, uh, if if there are three or four of you. Involved in in a business, if one of you fails to pay the bills, then the remaining partners effectively become responsible for them. So you know, let, let's say that uh, if uh, you know, if, if you, I, and producer guy went out for a meal together, and producer guy forgot his wallet, you know, the the, the the restaurant owner wouldn't say, "Well, you know, Kieran and Kieran and Kevin, you pay your share, and I'll wait for for guy to pay me." It was you know. You came in as a group unit and therefore we expect the full amount of money. So um, that's where the problems start to arise because Sunderland have run out of their parachute payments. Mm. So therefore they're now in League One. They've got high overheads uh that they've got all the costs of running the club and of course they've not got any of the benefits in terms of having uh you know the significant numbers of fans which they would normally anticipate uh until we we return to the government giving permission for fans
1: to to attend mm. i can't imagine any circumstances by which producer guy would forget his wallet it's huge you like <laughs> forgetting a battleship where did i put that battleship oh yeah here it is um yeah you know what? The slightly worrying thing about that scenario, Kieran, is that f- phrase "bought his share for a pound" because so many of the bad stories we've had in the past year have started with somebody buying some part of a club for a pound, haven't they? Yes, yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, you know, I'm not. I'm not certain of that particular one, but it's, I certainly have
0: seen reports of of that nature. Here, uh, you know, he might have lent the club money. He he might have uh, introduced the club to uh, other parties, and, and sometimes that you get a discount. But uh, it, it's a strange one, and also, if, if I was taking over a football club, I'd want a hundred percent. I wouldn't want two other blokes who would be constantly signing. Oh, you know, I'd have done it differently. You know, what are you signing in for? You're, or I, I wouldn't wouldn't want the aggravation. Um, and and if this Kirill Louis Dreyfus is as wealthy as he's claimed to be, then it should be relatively easy for him simply to buy the other two out at the outset um, and and then get on with the business of, from his perspective and and clearly from the fans' perspective, of, of restoring Sunderland, first of all, to the Championship. And then clearly their objective is to return to the Premier League.
1: Yeah, I also like the contempt in which you described young Mr Dreyfus as an inheritance billionaire. I could I could feel your lip curling from a distance. And there are new details emerging of another takeover here and this is the takeover of Burnley. Yes,
0: uh yeah the deal has gone through. Uh it went through before Christmas and and I'm sure uh before the new year and, and I'm I'm sure people are sick to the back teeth of hearing me say uh Burnley best-run club financially in the Premier League, that the previous owners had never had to put a penny in, that they always broke even or made a profit, uh, n- never lived beyond their means. Um, you know, I, and I felt that they were they were a textbook way, um, and you've got to give Sean Dyche a huge amount of credit for, for operating within the budget that, that he was dealt. Um, but on, I think it was Monday night um a journalist from the new york times who's you know who's written a book on some of the unusual activities uh, in football he put out a, a very cryptic uh, uh tweet saying that there's interesting talk about the owners of new of a newly acquired premier league club scrabbling to raise 30 million pounds by trying to sell an equity stake at a far higher valuation to repay the debt owed to the previous owner. And everybody's going, well, it's only one deal that's just gone through as far as the Premier League is concerned recently. Um, and, and that's to do with Burnley, but he, he wouldn't go any further. And uh, everybody sort of, eyebrows raised and then the following day in in the guardian david Conn, who again he, he was a very good investigative journalist when it comes to football mm-hmm. uh, and he certainly held fifa to to, to their you know to, to, against the wall on occasions before, with, with, through, through analyzing some of their activities, um, he he he's, he wrote an article to say that Burnley were, were ninety million pounds worse off as a result of the, the takeover oh. because the new owners uh, the new owners had agreed a deal for about one hundred and eighty million, which they were paying in installments. But it looks as if initially they've used thirty million pounds of Burnley's own cash because. Burnley are a well-run club, as we've established, and therefore they've actually got cash in the bank. And then they had borrowed £60 million. And again, we, we have covered this before um, at an interest rate of around about 10%, it would appear. So they're going to have to find £6 million uh, in interest each year. Um and the fans were going well. You know, initially, you know, the the, the new owners are talking a good game, and, and they certainly are. Uh, just wait to the transfer window, and the transfer window window came and went. Burnley didn't sign anyone. Now, the new owners, who are a company called AL Capital, they are convinced that they have the skills to take Burnley. To to be a successful club, uh, despite all of these financial uh, implications. And the reason why they think they can do that is because they're going to use artificial intelligence. They've got an app called AI Scout. Um, and what happens is that if you think you're going, to, you, you've got the skills to be a footballer, you download this app, uh, and then it gives you a number of drills. And uh, based on uh, you, you record this on your mobile phone, and on the basis of that, the artificial intelligence will determine whether or not they think you've got it to become a professional footballer. Um, now, yeah, I, I feel slightly concerned here there's an awful lot of people who think they know how to identify a footballer mm. um, doing keepy uppies on a mobile phone you know, <clears throat> is, is one thing doing it on a wet tuesday in stoke is another as, as we've established on many an occasion so um it, it there is certainly a a risk element uh, to, to what's what's happening in, in terms of the new owners um, it could be that they they've got a fantastic new system, and, and you know, I'm aware of the people who've developed the the this uh, this artificial intelligence program. Um, yeah, part of me wonders if it is as good as it claims to be. Why haven't Chelsea or Manchester United or Liverpool simply gone out and bought it themselves? So, you know, why has it ended up in in the hands of uh, a bunch of Wall Street guys? Who who are now taking it to Burnley? So, you know, I I wish them all the best. That uh, they've they've got to they've got to make it successful enough that the six million pounds in interest is more than covered from the uh, the proceeds and and the the players who are identified from from this from this uh, from this app. If it if it doesn't work, then Sean Dicey's already small budget by Premier League stund- standards, becomes a bit smaller
1: still. Mm. <laughs> that sentence, as you were explaining it, using artificial intelligence to identify new players, all sounded pleasingly futuristic until you said it's an app. It yeah. takes it takes the edge off it. What is it? It's an app. What, a computer program? No, it's an app. You just download it. and you know, I don't know whether it's a new owner. Something is making uh, Sean Dyche more skittish than usual. I don't know if you saw his press conference uh, today. Um, which most of which was taken up with people he's seen on his travels who look like other people. Yeah, he's was, he was brilliant. I, I've, I've told you, I, I, I
0: love Sean Dyche. I think he's uh, p- people don't get him, uh, but there's you know, far more to the man than the the gravelly out accent and the
1: fact that he you know, he, he does resemble a centre half. Yeah, yeah. You well, know, I, I defy anybody to hold his gaze for more than five seconds. I, I mean, he, he's got the like I say, the firmest handshake and. You just, you just, he knows whether you're lying. He's just got these terrifying. <laughs> um, and and there was another Bernie story as well. Uh, they're looking for a new shirt sponsor. Is that Bernie's decision, or they have the shirt sponsor pulled out? Well, uh, this is a. Uh, but Bernie signed a three year deal
0: with uh, an Asian gambling company or betting company called Lovebet. Mm. Um, now, you know, it, it's it's one of those really strange. Uh, arrangements for front of shirt and i think you know lots of clubs have had them i think you know palace you've probably had a couple of sponsors you think well i've never heard of them before and they don't don't appear to have a website in the uk but you know they're 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 paying more than anybody else so let's just take the money you know you know i'm and you're probably not particularly bothered one way or the other um but there has there has been sort of more and more coming out about uh, some of the activities relating to these betting companies. Betting is illegal in China, mm. so so why are companies having? Uh, yes, there is uh, you know uh, European writing on them, but there's often uh, you know Chinese Mandarin. Uh, Cantonese uh, descriptions on them as well so you know is this a subliminal way of of getting to to the Chinese market uh, where you know, th- there are gambling issues there um, it doesn't appear to have much of a UK presence so you know from the point of view is it is it going to increase problem gambling in this country the answer is probably not um, I believe that they did pay quite a bit of money up front but now it appears Their Chinese website is no longer working. And I don't know whether they're still making the payments, which are due to Burnley. But the reports that we are seeing is that Burnley is potentially now looking to to change sponsors halfway through the season, which is unheard of. Mm. So, you know, that, that does suggest that uh, Burnley are are looking for a a new partner there's still another year to go I think in terms of the relationship with Lovebet so one has to presume that that's not going to go ahead we saw issues at the start of the season with Southampton where their front of shirt sponsor disappeared Uh, that was a gambling sponsor Uh, Everton last season uh, they had an arrangement with an East African gambling company called Sport Pacer mm-hmm. uh, that was linked to uh, a, a lot of gambling problems and, and poor poor governance uh, to do with, with with issues back in in Kenya. Um, that deal was was effectively cancelled, and, and now they've got a uh, a, a car dealership, an, an online car dealership, as a replacement. So the dependency on gambling uh, i th- i think is starting to to drop off mm-hmm. um, and and clearly also there is there's increasing mutterings from government about uh, coming to some form of restrictions in, in terms of the relationship with the gambling industry but yeah uh, you know, in in terms of burnley uh, given that uh, you know if they are the club and we don't know uh, that was mentioned in the new york times that is uh, to, 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 to quote, scrabbling to raise cash. You know, that's the last thing that they they need. If uh, if their front of shirt sponsor is is behind uh, in terms of the latest instalments due to them, mm-hmm. so it, it it's messy and and it's such a shame because there are so many good things. And and I'm you know we are both football romantics, and I think the story of Burnley and the achievements of of Sean Dyche uh, shouldn't be shouldn't be tarnished by
1: by things of this nature. This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by designer sportswear brand Fugatti. Fugatti specialises in making bespoke, fully customisable football kits for teams at all levels, so you, your teammates and your fans can all look your sharpest on match days. With a huge range of colours and designs on offer, they've got something for every team, and it's all made to the highest quality without you needing to break the bank. Yeah, and the company's also got plenty of football pedigree. Uh, The former Watford,
0: Swansea and Sunderland striker, Danny Graham's an investor, Mm -hmm. uh, and it's run by one of the owners of Sittingbourne FC. They've also got their own brand of athleisure wear, which is a really groovy name, for both men and women, uh, including tracksuits,
1: jumpers, T-shirts and caps. So take a look at the website and follow them on Instagram to see their full range. Although they probably don't do them in my size, but if you want your team to have a totally unique kit for next season, go to fugatti.co.uk and get 20% off their kits and clothing until the end of March 2021 using the code Price of Football. That's fugatti.co.uk using the code Price of Football. Yeah, you and Burnley need to get a room, Kieran. You know that, don't you? Uh, And as it happens, we'll be exploring all aspects of football's relationship with the betting industry quite soon when we speak to James Grimes from Gambling with Lives in a week or two. And if you have any questions for James specifically about betting and football, then email us the used address, which is questions at priceoffootball.com. Kieran, we still have a couple of stories to go. Let's see if we can rattle through them because I'm worried about those new listeners from Leeds who don't know how to fast forward a pod. (laughs) And uh, sitting there drumming their fingers waiting for the interview, which is coming up. It is coming up. But let's do these last couple of stories. And a a report has found that the £10.25 million loan from the council to Northampton Town, which we've talked about before in 2013 and 14 to use on stadium redevelopment, has, and I quote, serious failings.
0: Yes, uh, there don't appear to be any minutes of meetings between uh, people from the council and the borrowers. Uh, There appears to be... Little or no uh, exploration of of security. You know, if, if if you're borrowing ten million quid, then you know the first thing you do is you've got to show the wherewithal to, to repay it. And and if you don't repay it, um, you know what assets are you going to have to sacrifice? Well, it looks as if the uh, Northampton Council failed in their duties there. Um, the the report by KPMG. Uh, sort didn't speak well. In, I think in in return, or in, in terms of the council leader, who apparently put pressure on the council to to, to rush through this deal. Uh, that uh, th- that council leader subsequently became an MP, although he's no longer an MP. Um, the the council chief executive, he seemed very keen on the deal as well, uh, but the report indicated that he exceeded his authority. He ended up resigning in 2017. Uh, but worst of all, you know the, the local the local taxpayer has has lost ten million quid, and it would appear that that public money has been lost, and there's at present little little sight of it returning.
1: Hmm. Well, we'll keep an eye on that one. We've got, how many stories do I promise to keep an eye on? We've got a huge list, of them. we? I imagine guys taking notes on his. Solid gold paper. Um, we recently highlighted a positive story about Gillingham. This one, not so much, uh, and it involved the independent football ombudsman. And I have to admit, Kieran, I didn't even know there was an independent football ombudsman. What does he or
0: she do? Um, it, it's it's uh, it, it's there to resolve disputes right. between uh, stakeholders, normally in, in the form of fans. But uh, but uh but and 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 the clubs themselves so to to uh, prevent the need to go through to a small claims court or things of this nature you, you know it, it's a mediation service I, I must confess i hadn't heard of it doing very much either so so you're not alone there um this is in respect of, of a gillingham fan who'd been following the club been a season ticket been knocking around for over 20 years um and last season you know night 2019 20 uh, matches were unfulfilled so he was waiting for for smoke to come out of the club to say, what's happening with returned with with respect to refunds, nothing happened. So therefore he, he, he wrote to the club, uh, didn't get a reply that quickly uh, eventually got a reply from the Gillingham owner. The, uh, I think he's Dubai resident, Paul Scally, mm. who said that uh, he was too busy trying to save the club and that true fans would acknowledge that and wouldn't, Know, wouldn't be in in a in a hurry to be asking for money back. Um, I think it's then fair to say that the relationship between this fan and uh, Mr. Scally deteriorated. Um, I think the the fan was saying that you know people people on Twitter are saying that Paul Scally is using the club as a cash cow. Uh, I, I I don't I'm not convinced myself. There's there's evidence of that. Um, and then the fan, uh, then the fan, ended up getting banned mm. for, for this season. Now, you know, it, it now transpires that the chances of getting to see many matches are few and far between. But even so, you know, is that ban going to go forwards to next season or not? Or not? Uh, so I think the fan was concerned. Uh, you know, the irony of ironies because he was being banned for this season. The club therefore refunded his nineteen twenty twenty one 21 In season pool, ticket yeah. money. Um, and, and the fan built up a 35-page dossier of communication between himself and various people at the club. Um, and, and then it went off to the, the IFO, the Independent Football Ombudsman, who, whose recommendation was that, first of all, Um, gillingham give a clear statement with respect to refunds and and i'm and i'm astounded you know it's february 2021 Uh, football stopped if real realistically in march 2020 if the club is still being vague as to its uh, processes uh, and and uh, actions in terms of a refund doesn't reflect particularly well in respect of the club. Um, and the IFO, and, and this is where it, it looks as if it's it's sort of a paper tiger. It's got it's got no, no no significant powers. It says that if if individual fans are unhappy with the lack of progress, go to the small claims court. Yeah. Which you know surely if, if you're an independent ombudsman, you should have some form of being able to force clubs to comply with its recommendations. And and, the, and this would indicate that uh, it 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 just seems to be there sort of a uh,
1: as as a placeholder as much as anything else. Mm, it I mean from a PR point of view, it's very easily resolved this issue as many clubs did by saying, "Look, actually, we would rather not give refunds for this reason." But of course, if you if you feel that you want the money back, you can have it. And as we know, eighty ninety percent of the fans would say, "No, keep the money." It doesn't it doesn't take a lot of doing, does it? And it, and you allow these things to to carry on and fester and other fans instinctively will always take the part of the fan in here. So it's, it's such a shame that only a couple of weeks ago, we talked about that brilliant story about the school that Gillingham are funding. And then this tarnishes it a little. Now we have one more news story before our interview with Parag Morate. And it's uh, an American story because uh, major league soccer has issued a memo to its teams and league staff instructing them to prepare for a work stoppage.
0: Yes. Uh this this is sort of a, a classic you know, you and I are both old enough to remember uh industrial disputes going back to the seventies oh. and eighties. Um this is owners versus players. Mm. Uh the, the owners are trying to force through concessions from the players who have already agreed to to pay cuts. Yep. Um the players are saying, well, we want something from this in return, uh in terms of perhaps uh, some longer form of security uh there is a collective bargaining agreement between the mls and the union which uh which you know relates to all the terms um the the players had agreed to have their their entitlement to, to media rights so you know, the, the, i think the union has you know given up a fair amount here and there doesn't appear to be a lot of budge coming from the ownership side of things the MLS season is due to start on the 3rd of April and training commences on the 22nd of February but the MLS is now getting quite aggressive and is is sending out memos to say well you know we're now thinking of going through the the lockout Route, mm. uh, which means the players won't get paid, mm. uh, which which isn't going to help the sport, and, and and if they do go down that particular route, I, I, I think this is pretty much a, yeah, pretty much of an own goal. Uh, yeah, the MLS is still still fighting for space uh, in, in terms of uh, the attention of the armchair viewer in particular. So if it's not on TV, is it going to be missed hugely? The answer is probably no we've got some of the other American franchise sports due to start their seasons relatively soon, and it it could find itself squeezed out altogether. Uh, And given that it costs um, an MLS franchise owner up to 300 million dollars for what's referred to as an introduction fee and and this is where uh you know if if you want to bring the mls to uh, to a new city that's the amount you've got to pay into the central pot um i'm, I'm not sure of, of the, the the logic behind uh the, the way that the mls is negotiating on behalf of owners here
1: yeah as, as somebody who used to be involved in uh industrial relations i've firmly hold the maxim that any industrial action is always a failure of management um, which wasn't a popular approach because I was part of the management but um, there you go that, that is my view and it's, 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 it's a show. one of the reasons I became a comedian Um And now an interview with Kieran with somebody from the US. Purag Murate is the president of 49ers Enterprises and now vice chair of Leeds United after they increased their investment in the club to 37%. We spoke to him about the future and the past of Leeds United. Farag, thank you so much for joining us. Apologies in advance if Kieran and I start bickering or finishing each other's sentences. We've been together on this pod a long time. Um, Not
2: a problem.
1: First of all, just a a general question to introduce yourself and and what we're talking about today. Tell me the thinking behind that original acquisition of the 15% stake in Leeds United.
2: So uh, seven or eight... Actually, sorry, let me even completely rewind to... 12 years ago, I did a tour uh, in the UK uh, and a little bit across Europe of looking at uh, all of the football stadiums there. As we were going through the process of designing and uh, trying to design Levi's Stadium, I went went across the pond uh, to see if I could steal ideas for how stadiums were built, how they set up their supporters area, things like that. So I spent a week and a half, two weeks visiting almost every stadium in the Premier League Um, and came back with a big appreciation for uh, European football, Mm -hmm. and particularly English football. Um, And so I started to do a little bit of homework in the early 2010-2011 timeframe of clubs, and uh, I just kept coming back to Leeds uh, in terms of the club's history, uh, the fan base, the global fan base, the great success they had had, and how they had fallen on hard times since then. And in many ways I saw it very similar to the 49ers uh, from 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 the early 2000s where we had fallen on hard times we at the time were playing at the oldest unrenovated stadium in the NFL uh, and uh, and you know a team the 49ers enjoyed great success in the 80s and 90s and then and then uh, struggled some and we rebuilt and transformed the 49ers organization uh, starting with building Levi Stadium as well as you know as improving our on-pitch performance and I just saw and revitalized a fan base and I see very, uh, saw strong similarities with leads. And so uh, I actually struck a partnership, uh, what we called a strategic partnership, three ownership groups prior to Andrea or two ownership groups prior to Andrea um, and uh, announced a deal publicly uh, where we didn't invest any money, but we were going to just share business practices and we were going to lend some of our expertise. Hmm. Fortunately for me, that deal never materialized because that was with uh, some an ownership group that didn't necessarily uh, end up in the best way for leads. Mm-hmm. And so uh, and, and we, we each went on our way. Uh, and then Andrea and I met through a mutual friend in 2000, I don't even know, 14, 15, 16, sometime around then. I think it was 15 or 16. Uh, nothing prior to him buying leads. And us just, uh, we, we struck up a personal kinship and friendship. And I, he, he came out and visited. I spent the day with him, gave him a tour of Levi's, took him to dinner. Um, and it was actually maybe a year after that or six months after that that he bought the club. Mm-hmm. And I reached out to him and said, hey, wait a second. This is a club that I'm interested in, too, and let's find a way to get together. Uh, and so then that's how the minority partnership started in 1718 with us, where it was just us dipping our toes in the water. I just knew uh, that Leeds had great bones uh, and, a, and a dormant fan base ready to explode. And so that's, that's how it first started, and it's obviously materialized since then.
1: And very recently, you've increased that state to 37%, um, which to a civilian like me seems a, a strange number. Is there a specific reason for that amount, or is it simply driven by how much you wanted to invest?
2: Yeah, no, it's just driven by amount invested and, and valuation. It was just a, it was an arrival at a number, that's all.
1: Okay, and, w- and would it be impertinent to ask whether there may be further investment?
2: Uh, There could be. But like right now, we're just focused on the partnership. We're just focused. We're not even 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 this 37 percent. It's not about how much money we're putting in. It's really about a deeper level of engagement. It's really about and It's not just about me. It's about all of our people here at the 49ers. We've got a great team of executives uh, and us getting now more involved and, you know, sort of woven into the business operations and football operations at Leeds uh, and and trying to help the club maintain success
1: now I mean you're playing some wonderful football at the moment we're recording this after the the game away at Leicester which you've thoroughly deserved to win I I mean you're a joy to watch but Kieran and I are old enough to remember the lead side of the 1970s which were an amazing football team that had shall we say a robust physical approach a bit like the Oakland Raiders when when you invested were you aware of that history or were you only interested in future potential
2: Oh, both, of course, aware, aware of the history like that, that, that that's the that's the bones I'm talking about. We're talking about a club that by virtue of that success 20 years ago and 40 years ago, uh, we picked up fans in Australia, in in Southeast Asia, in the Nordics in the, in in North America. That's why we have a global fan base because of that success. So um, you know, it is why that we have that plus the fact that we're a one club town and dominate uh, our geography. Uh, we that that those are the main reasons why i believe leeds has the potential to uh to be one of the best clubs in all of europe and certainly in the premier league it's really
1: interesting you talk about that one club town because there are other one club towns middlesbrough for example but somehow leeds seem to encapsulate that and there there are other intangibles as well like that the the beautiful all white kit the history there is there is something slightly different about leeds united and i think most football fans i support Crystal Palace, Kieran supports a team I don't like to mention. But most most football fans kind of want Leeds to be in the Premier League because traditionally, historically, that's where they should be, isn't it?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's it's a combination of a couple of things, though. Like I know you mentioned Middlesbrough, but it's not just that we're a one-club town. It's that our town is a really big town, too. Yeah. People don't realise that the, that Leeds is, you know, given certain different metrics, whether you're talking about Yorkshire or Leeds, like we're the third or fourth largest metropolitan area in the U.K., Um, and so, you know, and that, and there, there isn't anybody above us that is a one club town, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why we have such enormous potential.
1: Levi Stadium, home of the 49ers is, I mean, you can only describe it as a world-class multi-purpose venue. Could the same thing happen at Elland Road?
2: Yeah, certainly. Um, but that's not the goal. The goal is to... To uh, make it a best place to build ourselves a nice home field, home pitch advantage and have it be a competitive advantage. Well, yes, we want to modernize the stadium. Yes, we want to make the experience better from a hospitality and premium standpoint. But we have to continue to capture the magic and aura uh, that is within the hundred year grounds that is on road. So it's really about and, and there's there's a certain prestige and history there that we want to make sure we maintain.
1: I'd, I'd like to bring Kieran in here because, as as an away fan, Kieran, I think you can confirm that Elland Road is a hair-raising place to visit, isn't it? For an away fan, uh, v- very intimidating indeed. I
0: mean, I, I can remember going back to watch my team play at Leeds in the early 1980s when uh, when Leeds was a very very fierce town indeed, uh, and you can see the players wilting just as much as the away fans used to. So, if, if you're absolutely right that if you can if you can encapsulate that and Uh, improve the facilities and and the infrastructure spend, which I think you've sort of hinted that some of the owners in recent times before Andrea came in weren't perhaps looking at uh, Leeds' best long-term interests. I I think you could be on to a winner there.
2: Yeah, that's the
1: hope. Yeah, Pirog, you're you're more involved now uh, as vice chairman in the day-to-day operations of the club. Is that limited to business matters only, or does it include football matters like player recruitment?
2: You know, I hope not. I hope it's. I hope it includes everything. If you guys, um, you can spend thirty seconds googling me, and you'll know that I built my. Re- I originally built my reputation in sports here mm. uh, at the 49ers uh, with uh, with football things, such as negotiating all our player contracts and managing our contract structure and salary cap. And so that that is my expertise. That's my wheelhouse. Uh, so, are there w- will there be things that I can help with? Um, with uh, with leads players with the transfer market with things like that, I certainly hope so. Uh, but again, I, I want to be able to support. Uh, I'm not. I support Victor and Andrea and what they do um, on that side. I'm not. I, 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 by, by no means do I want to govern it, but I, I do think that I'll be able to help.
1: Well, also support your remarkable manager, who's uh, again as a neutral, he's somebody you want to see. Marcelo Bielsa, somebody you want to see in the Premier League, isn't he?
2: Oh, he certainly is. He's one of those guys that has just tremendous willpower uh, and is so creative uh, and, and, uh, and so focused on it. And like you, one of you guys said, just a, a style of play that is so entertaining and a style of play that in some ways has maybe been ra- lacking in the Premier League recently. And we brought it right back.
1: Well, as a Crystal Palace fan, it most certainly is lacking at Celeste Park. <laughs> that's, that's, a diff- that's a different podcast. Let's not talk about that.
2: And- well, we'll find out about that one on February 6th.
1: Yes, yes. Well, yes. Let's, oddly enough, the only game we played any decent football was against you earlier this season. But, Pirog, it, it often comes as a surprise to um, English sports fans to find that the NFL has a very creditable, democratic approach to the distribution of funds throughout the league. Were you surprised when you got involved in English football that that equal distribution is very much not the case in the English Premier League?
2: Um, I don't know if it was a surprise because I was aware of it, but it's, yes, it's, uh, well, how do I say this best? I wouldn't say it's not democratic because it is still absolutely meritocratic um, Mm. because it is still, you know, whether you, everyone has their share of the media rights uh, in the Premier league, but based on where you finish in the table, you get a larger chunk of the pie. Um, And so, and, and how many times you're on, uh, you're picked by Sky uh, or BBC to be the, to, to the primetime match, you you earn more for that. Uh, and the way you get there is by being a better team, right? Better team, you matriculate up the table. Better team, you're on primetime more often. And if you get those things, then you do get a bigger share of the pie. So that is in many ways democratic, um, as well as uh, the promotion relegation. Now, what I'll say is it certainly adds an extra element of suspense and <laughs> drama uh, and and uh, and heart rate. Uh, that, that goes along with it. Um, but, you know, it's part of the excitement of the Premier League, and it's why it's the most, maybe the most exciting league in the world.
1: Now, when you and the 49ers got involved with Leeds, did you set yourself targets as to where Leeds should be in, in two years, three years, five years' time? And, and are you ahead of those targets now? Uh,
2: you know, we follow Andrea's vision and leadership, and Andrea's set himself uh, set some lofty aspirations and goals for the club. Uh, one of which was getting promoted within five years, and he definitely achieved that uh, on on an earlier time frame to get that in three years. And so I think think right now it's – sure, you could look ahead and say, yes, we want to compete in Europe and uh, Europa and compete in the Champions League. Do we have the ability to? Yes, we should be dreaming like that. But right now, incrementally, it's just about showing that we can be sustainably competitive in the Premier League, that we're not just hanging on by the laces of our boots, that we can – that we, can, that we belong. And, you know, if we're a club that we don't enter any season thinking about is this a year that we could get relegated, then then that's a, that's a good positive step.
1: And Andrea, as you talked about, the majority owner of Leeds, he's talked about deepening ties with clubs around Europe. Is that a process that's already started? Uh,
2: yeah, I mean, it's just something that he's always fancied and looking at. It's not something right now my focus uh, and our focus is on helping Leeds become more successful.
1: Yeah, there's been, if we talk about Europe, there's been a lot of discussion recently, Parag, about a semi-closed European Super League and possibly a reduction in the size of the Premier League. What does an ambitious club like Leeds make of those proposals?
2: You know, I I don't know the details of those proposals. So I right now, for me, it's hypothetical or it's secondhand based on what I read in, in, in uh, media outlets and articles. So I can't speak too much for it, but I can say I do like the meritocracy that they have in the Premier league i do think it's set up well for if a club is successful and good they they uh they get to move up the table and earn more and earn more opportunities to compete in european competitions and i think the current setup is good i like it um and so i'm not i'm I, i i don't hope it changes
1: if i could bring kieran in here again uh because he moans. Technically, both of us work on this podcast and he moans if I don't include him. But Kieran, you talk about, you've always talked about, you've been a fan of Leeds as a, as a, as a well-run club, a potentially massive club in, in, of course, in the English Premier League and in Europe. What do you think the the potential Super League, how would that affect Leeds?
0: My concern for a club such as Leeds, and I think you can also include other clubs such as Aston Villa, Leicester, Wolverhampton Wanderers, Newcastle, if if they had a uh, a new ownership structure, um, is that that trap door could be closed, which which I think it would be scandalous because to see uh, to see a variety of clubs in europe uh, i think is fantastic and for too many years in in recent times it has very much been a, a a closed shop as to who can access it so so my my concerns is that if the proposals for say 15 out of 20 teams are are picked on uh, on invitation only, and therefore there's five clubs in the whole of Europe scrabbling over trying to get into the remaining places in in some form of Champions League. That that would be a a, a backward step. Um, and also, I think if I was a Leeds fan, uh, you know, for Leeds fans, the biggest matches of the season: yeah. Manchester United, Liverpool, and so on. Um, and to to go from having 38 games a season in the Premier League to 34. Uh, yeah, if I'm if I'm a local fan in Leeds, I, I think I'd be fairly disappointed with that.
2: Mm. Well said, Karen.
1: Yeah, Perog, There's there's two more questions I'd like to ask you about Leeds, and they're sure. they're they're both sort of fan base. And then I want to move on to a completely different sport, if you don't mind. Uh, the first question is, and I think Leeds fans would like me to to ask you this. At the moment, everything in the garden is is rosy for Leeds. You've got a fantastic manager. I think you finished a game yesterday with eleven players that got you out of the championship and into the Premier League, which is a remarkable achievement. You've got money to spend. If, God forbid, in the next season or two, Leeds were not to have it as much as maybe they went back into the championship, would you still be as committed? Would the investment from the 49ers still be there?
2: Oh yeah. We're not this is not about being front runners because we're enjoying being in the Premier League. This is about a commitment uh to to keep leads and uh, leads on the right path to success and continue to grow and develop. Uh, if we have blips on the radar or or obstacles, we'll get through them together. But this is not. By no means are we uh, bandwagon front runners. This is we're we're in this for the long haul.
1: That's a bandwagon front runners is another phrase I'm going to take away from this. Your your management team, Farag, in the states is is famed for an innovative approach to business and sport. Do you think English football fans are quite as open to change as American ones are? Because we can be quite anxious about new things, English (laughs) football fans.
2: Yeah, you know, I mean, there's a... Innovation is not always just about change. It's just about improving what you already have. Um, And so, like I said, Leeds has great bones. We're just trying to uh, harness what the potential is here um and and help it grow. And, you know, I think the one uh, one big difference is this is not just an economic play for us. This is not just some detached, dispassionate uh investment. This is we're all in. Um we are we are riding the waves of emotion. Uh you know, it's six o'clock in the morning and I'm waking up my kids because I'm screaming when they first scored scored the first goal yesterday. <laughs> um, and, and uh you know it's this we we are we're this is about this is about passion as much as it is about investment. And so hopefully that differentiates us from some other examples of American ownership in Europe.
1: It, it's such a shame, isn't it, Parag, that Leeds United and their brilliant fans have waited so long to get back in the Premier League and they can't get back into Ellen Road. That's so frustrating, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it's too bad. I hope to be there that first time that we're able to get back in Ellen Road because it's a special place.
1: Now, in the short time that we've known each other, Parag, it's clear that you're an, an upbeat, energetic sort of chap. And also, you must be very optimistic because you're chairman of USA Cricket, aren't you? Yes, I am. Yeah. And you plan to establish cricket as a US sport by 2030. Kieran and I are huge cricket fans. We both love cricket. I'm a big Surrey fan. He's a big Sussex fan. But even we think that target may be a little bit optimistic, is it?
2: So so what I'll say there is I can just bring it back to one sentence. And then it's on us to deliver it. That sentence is that we're talking about the second biggest sport in the world. Yeah. uh, And we, and we in the U S are the largest media market in the world. So you've taken about talking about the second largest sport in the world, having an opportunity to be successful in the largest media market in the world. It doesn't matter what sport it could be widget ball. It doesn't matter what sport (laughs) it is. That just smells of opportunity right now. It's on us to deliver, uh, deliver on that. And, obviously financial resources and means uh, do enable you to do more and actually then enables athletes to to either come here and play in the U.S. or enables the dream for young athletes here al- domest- already domestically to realize that there is an opportunity for them. And in time, uh, we can develop the sport here. And and, you know, there's we we do think that we can become one of the 12 full member nations and we do think uh, we can be competing at the highest levels in nine years. I think if we're able to get Major League Cricket, which is the name of our domestic T20 league that will start here yeah. uh, next year, if we're able to get that off the ground, that gives us an eight year runway uh, to to build a foundation of success. I don't think it's a stretch by any means. If we were a, if we're talking about the 10th most popular sport in the 20th largest media market, then maybe you're right. But. But we're the largest media market in the world. We have the resources to be successful. It's on us to now deliver that.
1: And that tournament you're starting next year—that's an IPL-style tournament, presumably, is
2: it? Yep, that's right.
1: Well, that's—I mean—that's really exciting. I mean, Kieran Kieran already travels all over the world doing all sorts of things, including watching cricket. But it would be lovely to know that America is a place where we could go and watch cricket as well. One one more question, Parag, and thank you so much for for joining us. Are you, well, I think I know the answer to this, but are you enjoying the journey so far in English football?
2: I'm loving it. Uh, I'm loving it and I'm hating it uh, because <laughs> my blood pressure, uh, you know, I my wife doesn't like the fact that, you know, it used to only be 16 games, 49er games that I live and die by. Uh, and now I picked up 38 more. Uh, so uh, it is, but, but I, no, I'm in all seriousness, I absolutely love it. And, uh, I, I watch every second of every
1: match. I'm, I'm glad that you said you're loving it and hating it because that's a proper English football fan's response. Yeah. Loving it first, then you think about it and say hating it. It's it's strong. I love again, Kieran. I love all sports, but I mean NFL is something that I watch all the time. And I think again, English sports fans will be surprised by the the comparison. There are NFL fans who are like English football fans, aren't they? I mean, every stadium has its has its pound with its passionate fans, doesn't don't they?
2: Oh yeah. I mean everyone every place does and and there's tremendous passion but I'll tell you there's something special in the UK. Like I said when I first visited and did my tour of stadiums in 2009 2010 there's an extra layer of magic uh there because I think I think that people feel that the club is theirs as they should yeah. and they feel yeah. like it's part of their family like a like a like a little brother or a little sister where Uh, Where you're so proud of its success and you're very protective when they fail. Uh, You want to protect them. Uh, And that is an extra layer of emotion and passion and love, love and hate for a club. That is not, I don't really think that's manifested here as much as it is in the UK.
1: Mm. Pereg, thank you very much for talking to us. I know Leeds United fans were very excited when we mentioned that we were going to be talking to you, and I don't think any of them will be disappointed by what they've heard. So, thank you. Good luck for the rest of the season. Nice to talk to you. Thank
2: you, guys. I really appreciate the time. Thank
1: you very much. Kieran, he's obviously a very positive and dynamic force. I wouldn't be surprised to learn that he was running on a treadmill like he was while he was talking to us. He, he was brilliant. But he, he certainly seems to get Leeds United, doesn't he?
0: Yes, uh, yeah, because it, it looks as if he, he's he's done his homework many years ago um, and the the initial relationship between the 49ers and the club was on, on a more platonic level. But now they, they certainly see the opportunities to to grow the club um and, and i think uh you know, if, if if they can if they can use their expertise and their knowledge um it, it can only be a positive thing for the club and the
1: fans mm. and would your instinct be that he sounds like somebody who is looking to extend that investment even further um
0: i I think that there's going to be there's going to be some big decisions made in in respect of Leeds at some point uh you know they are selling out Elland Road at present uh, there's 20,000 people uh, on a waiting list to to become season ticket holders uh now you know post pandemic and i think we need to wait for wait wait for the waters to settle uh, you know when ideally the vaccination has has proven to be successful um then a decision has to be made with where where we're we going to go uh, in terms of the facilities uh, i think it was really encouraging that he says that he wants to retain that atmosphere of uh, of passion and fear uh, that the ellen road can generate and and i'll be honest yeah, the scariest football experience in a ground i've ever had was at ellen road when uh, when our striker michael robinson scored uh, in the 1981-82 season, to put us one 0 up, Leeds' last home game of the, the season, and uh, you know, we we were potentially going to send them down, mm. uh, yeah, you know, and, and I I was so relieved when they scored a 93rd-minute winner, which is a terrible thing to say, but uh, yeah, you know, I I valued my life over three points in those days, yeah. um, so so yeah, there's there's lots of very positive things about Leeds and Allen Road, when that decision has to be made, uh are they going to be looking for external investment or are San Francisco 49ers then going to say, right, we, we now want to take control? Um, I was reading a very interesting article uh, with regards to the NFL. Um, and I think if you take the last seven or eight uh, NFL you know, Super Bowl matches, uh, in, in 90% of them, there has been uh, a club owner of the NFL who was also an owner of a football club oh, so right, could it be that that's you know sf 49ers say well there's clearly something going on here perhaps we want to be part of that gang and therefore in due course uh we might want to increase our stakes so that we become the majority owners and therefore you know parag's involvement at present which is part of the management team uh is sort of upgraded to be he, he then becomes the senior decision maker now clearly andrea uh, Rad Rizani is, is that person at present, and they and they clearly have a very good relationship. So I, I don't see any problems at present.
1: And I, I'm glad as well. You you get the impression that Pereira clearly knows about the past of Leeds United, but I wonder if he fully realises quite what a strange, brilliant, superstitious man Don Revy was. There's a, a Yorkshire TV documentary that you can do. It's make <laughs> there's. There's footage of him massaging Jack Charlton, which you, once you see it, you can never unsee it. Basically, <laughs> and he, obviously, the, the players weren't allowed to have sex on a Friday night, so he made him stay in a hotel and play bingo. And there's some great shots of people like Alan Clark, who's very surly about the fact they're having to play bingo rather than be at home. But he was an amazing man, and that, that I, I think younger football fans probably don't realise what a, a giant Leeds United were in the late '60s and through the early '70s when they probably didn't quite. Win as much as they should have done, but they were they were up there with Liverpool as as giants of the game, weren't they?
0: Oh yeah, yeah, and they were seen as being very innovative. You know, it, yeah. things, things such as the the relationship with Admiral and and the the development of of kits which you could buy in the shops and away kits. Um, yeah, they they were uh, you know a, a few years ahead of yeah. other clubs at the time.
1: Yeah, and they had the the sock tags and the smiley badge, and the players used to go out in the middle of the pitch and and wave to all four corners of the ground and kick balls into the thing. So they were very, very good at PR, the sort of stuff that you ironically would associate with with NFL. So, uh, yes, we'd like to thank Leeds United and Purok for talking to us um, uh, and thank you for Leeds fans' patience. And let's hope some of them carry on listening. And if they have any questions for us for our next pod, we do two a week. One's a news one on Thursday and one's a questions one on Monday. Then get in touch with us with questions at Price of Football com, uh, Kieran, I can relax and watch tonight's games after uh, two wins in a row for Palace, Kieran. Who would have thought? Just did a very giddy Palace podcast off the back of it. Uh, tricky game for you tonight, though, of course, you'll be watching from behind the sofa.
0: Uh, yeah, away, away at Liverpool. Um, yeah, I'll,
1: I'll settle for a point now. I'm, I'm not, I'm not a greedy man, as you know. <laughs> settle for a point. I'd settle for losing four <laughs> nil. Talk to Mr. Yeah, I'll settle for a point. Uh, Kieran will say say goodbye, and we'll leave you to do so in your own uh, unique way okay well well thanks to uh thanks to kevin thanks to parag and if you've enjoyed the show
0: if you can press on the on that purple icon on your apple phone app or if you're using uh, android uh, you know google google apps or whatever uh, if you're enjoying the show it'd be great if you give us a five star review we we don't understand why it works we just say something you can say you know when are they going to get the Swiss ramble? When, when are they going to get rid of the smart? It doesn't matter what you say. Uh, but according to, to our, uh, our leader, uh, it makes a difference uh, in terms of the charts, uh, and therefore it allows us to uh, you know, have a bit of credibility when, when we timidly contact people such as the 49ers, saying, uh, you know, we're, we're two we're old blokes from, uh, from South London. Uh, fancy having a chat with us. So until then, stay safe.
1: Yeah, and you can say what you like. The smart stays for a while. I son, for
2: a